welcome to the first in our series of five podcasts released throughout the Unlimited Festival at South Bank Centre. I'm Alistair Gentry, and over five episodes, I'll be speaking to artists showing their work at the festival. For those who don't know, the Unlimited Festival is a biennial showcase of extraordinary work by disabled artists, taking place at the South Bank Centre in central London. On each episode of this podcast, we'll focus on a different art form. Today, we're focusing on audiovisual artworks, and we're speaking to Priya Mystery, Cheryl Beer, and Emily Beanie. First, we spoke to Cheryl Beer about her artwork, Can E Kide, Empowering the Rainforests of Wales. Uh, hi, my name's Cheryl Beer. I live in West Wales, and I'm an environmental sound artist and composer. I work with the vascular system of trees, collating the visual and digital conductivity from beneath the bark and using this to compose music that's led entirely by the natural world. And I've honed that craft uh, during the last year of my main commission with Unlimited in the rainforests of Wales. We have five enclaves of rainforest that still exist here in Wales and people are completely unaware of them. My commission, Canacoid, that's Welsh for Song of the Trees, Rainforest Symphony, the idea behind that was to bring together those four enclaves by composing a symphony from their biorhythms. Because once they used to be one whole organism. Like in some parts... It's been carbon dated back, the moss, 10,000 years. Another forest is in our Mabinogion, that's our oldest storytelling text. So it's not just culturally significant, it's globally, ecologically significant. And I wanted the work to empower those rainforests to have their own voice. I'm really excited that the work is being screened at the South Bank Centre for the Unlimited Festival. Can you imagine that I'm here, I'm hearing impaired, I live quite an isolated life, I'm either in my office editing, in my studio, or in the forests or with nature. And now I have this piece of work that's going to be in the AV theatre um, as an audio-visual piece. It's all in slow motion because... That's how it feels when you go into a rainforest. Time sort of stands still. It's like there's no concept of time. And you'll meet the trees. So every time you hear a note played or a phrase or a melody, that has come directly from the tree that you're witnessing. And I'm really excited that's going to be screened throughout the festival in the AV theatre. But also it's going to be available on the South Bank website. If you scan in through the QR code, into Canacoid, you'll see the actual symphony, but then there are a collection of films that show you how to experience the sound through ways other than that traditional way of hearing. So through vibration, through sight, through other routes, other ways of experiencing it. But through the website, you have access through the Welsh language, English and British Sign Language. It felt really important to embed that access right at the core of the work because the whole of this process started for me by uh, my hearing loss. I was a professional musician all my life and I just woke up five years ago and not able to hear the birds singing, not knowing what was going on, completely discombobulated. And my hearing was replaced with tinnitus and hyperacusis, which is a sound sensitivity and the only way I could feel connected to myself and to the world 
was by going into the woods that was opposite my cottage and it gave me back a sense of being alive really it, it enabled me to stimulate all of my other senses and it was from that route uh, that I started to get more and more involved in environmental sound and then when I got my hearing aids I was able to make nature narratives for other people and I worked in care homes for people that couldn't come out during the pandemic creating their favorite walks through sound and while I was outside I thought gosh these hearing aids are a miracle they're giving me back the artist that I am what are they what is the technology inside this hearing aid and could it be the art itself so the whole of Canacoid Song of the Trees working beneath the bark started with the repurposing of hearing aid technology training in spectral frequency and then through my main commission being able to acquire other biomedical sensitive sound equipment that has enabled me to create the work. So there have been challenges during the work. The first was the physical challenge of actually being in a rainforest because I'm a woman in my 50s. I'm not the fittest I've ever been. I'm, in, I'm at the tail end of my menopause and suddenly I'm climbing mountains and uh, climbing up trees and having a very, a life that kind of released the child within. I did have quite a nasty fall at one point and broke my foot. But actually, the uh, Coid Cadu, the Woodland Trust, are working with the forest to make them more accessible. During the work, every day, I told people about it on my Facebook page. And my Facebook page just grew and grew and grew. It's, it's kind of transformed from a commission. In so much as even yesterday, I found out that the Welsh Government are taking it to the Commonwealth Games. You know, so who would have thought? I could never have imagined that that work would have such amazing outcomes. And of course, it's a challenge because it's a great deal more outcomes than I expected, which is, is just magnificent to be able to build this platform for the rainforests of Wales to actually be able to speak their own voice, but also as a disabled artist, to be breaking that glass ceiling, you know, really being visible uh, through the work. The Welsh rainforests are a lesson in life. They're mad, they're absolutely magical. When I walked into the first one, there was a mother oak tree with her arms outstretched you know, come on in. And beneath her was a fallen part of her branches, or maybe it was a huge piece of wood that had fallen from her. And it looked dead on the floor. And in the cracks of each of those pieces of wood, acorns had embedded and were hatching like little chicks, thousands of them. And I've worked very closely with scientists and ecologists. And Kirsten, who was my contact at Coid Cadu, and that's our branch of the Woodland Trust, um, I asked her, what, how can these little acorns be growing in a dead tree? How, how does that work? And she said, the oak tree behind is feeding that dead tree with all the nutrients that those acorns need. Now, that completely blows out of the water any kind of theories about life, doesn't it? Life and death. We see life and death as a dichotomy. But here... In the rainforests of Wales, we learn about the real true matrix of the life cycle, how death itself gives life. And that is life-changing, to experience that kind of intimacy with nature. 
A hundred years ago, only a hundred years ago, we as human beings in our in our in our wisdom flattened half the rainforest to create a nuclear power station. This is what we were doing to our rainforest, and this is my point. If people don't know that they exist, how can they nurture them? I hope my work is a love letter from the trees themselves for people to fall so deeply in love with the rainforest that they want to take care of them. I can hear myself talking to you today with this kind of inner strength and confidence that I didn't have a year ago. A year ago, I really didn't believe that I could be the artist I am 12 months on and my main commission has changed my life. I actually remember being quite tearful in one of my interviews because the fact that people could see in the work things that I actually couldn't see and that's still still happening. And I think that's really important to be honest about that because if you're at home listening to this and you're a disabled person in the way that I am, you know, you feel perhaps in the way that I did, confined by that, there are ways in which you can work with your disability to uh, reframe your life. And that's what's happened for me in this last 12 months. And now my work is coming to the South Bank Centre in London. If you'd have told me that a year ago, I, I wouldn't have ever believed it. So I, I feel proud to stand up and say, I am a disabled artist making... Uh, quality work that makes social change and I wouldn't have had the strength to stand up and say that a year ago. Thanks for speaking to us Cheryl. Next we spoke to Priya Mystery about her work The Empire's Old Clothes. Can you just uh, introduce yourself and what kind of work you make as an artist? My name is Priya. I work under the name What's the Big Mystery. My full name is Priya Mystery. I'm a multidisciplinary practitioner, which means I work across performance and visual art, straddling live art along the way. My background and training is in dance, theatre, film, photography and visual art forms. I'm also a socially engaged arts worker and a sort of curator, producer, programmer part of the time. I make very cross-discipline work uh, it's often very performative, whether that's me performing or me working with other performers. My work is uh, in part about intersectional identity, which may cover things to do with race, disability, queerness, feminist politics, and where those things intersect with the world. I'm often referencing my own experiences within that. So there's often an autobiographical element, but there's also broader research that I do uh, that gives historical context and information. I work a lot with uh, visual vocabularies, objects and props. And then I also make work that is less, less about those themes specifically, though they may come in. Work that is about spatial choreographies, bodies as objects, objects as bodies, and about relationships between bodies and space. Um, can you tell us the name of the work that we're here to talk about today and try to describe it to somebody who won't be able to see it? My work is called The Empire's Old Clothes and uh, it's a short, non-linear narrative film about colonialism. It's about the British 
the idea of being British or the British experience and what it means to have been colonised and what it means to imagine a different kind of future as well. Visually and on a sound basis, I deal very much in imagery that's influenced by Indian and Afrofuturism, queer culture, but also like tableau vivants and sort of science education films, really then drawing on that Afro-Indian futurism element to imagine something different. So in part, the film is extrapolating what we know, what's been, and questioning it. And then it starts to look a little bit futureward about the possibilities of how things might be different and for us to imagine those possibly together. So, yeah, you mentioned a few things like Afrofuturism and similar things to that. Does does that feed into the aesthetic of it and what it looks like? What What is it kind of, yeah, what's the kind of aesthetic or the style of it? Yeah, so it's non-narrative, as I mentioned, and stylistically it's really bold and it is colourful, but I have like a series of different palettes that run through it, some that reappear. And when I say palettes, I mean colour palettes, but also symbolic things that you will see appear in it as well, uh, like objects and outfits and things. In part, I'm referencing some like propaganda, you know, like British Empire propaganda, but I also use the tropes of things like travel agency advertising and then other sections will make references to, to science and scientific validation about ideas as well. And so there's this very sort of science museum, authoritative voice style that I'm drawing from. But I'm flipping all of these as well. The futurism elements are like those more imaginative, space-like um, alternative identities and possibilities visually there are really distinct palettes through the film they draw on the tropes of very particular uh, genres and styles can you talk about how and why you made this work the commission came about because unlimited senior producer had been awarded an mbe and they had accepted it and this is a very problematic and awkward situation it would seem at least in part that Unlimited went about responding to that by raising this commission and inviting a few artists to propose work in response to that situation. So that's how it's come about. I'm also very aware that it comes into fruition at a point where it's a year where we have the Queen's Jubilee and we have the Commonwealth Games. And um, this work really flies in the face of all that national rhetoric the audiovisual work is very much about questioning why things are the way they are, questioning the histories that are taught and promoted and are accepted and presenting alternative possibilities, but also, you know, other histories or othered histories, if you like, as well. And the purpose of that is not just to reach people who feel othered or who have experienced racism or ableism or, you know, all sorts of prejudice. But I've made it, you know, having in mind that I would really like people who think that racism doesn't exist or they don't experience racism or that empire is like something in the past. So this work is also for them. Um, and so I'd really like it 
to reach not just a sort of arts audience, but a much broader audience. It's worth mentioning that Joe Verrant, who received the MBE, is director of Unlimited now rather than senior producer. Can you explain for those who don't know what an MBE is? Because I suspect some people maybe don't know what it is or what it signifies. So MBEs, um, saying member of or order of the British Empire, have the words British Empire in them. And there in and of itself is a problem because apparently the British Empire doesn't exist anymore. But its legacy and what it's done definitely has. And the idea of the Commonwealth is also problematic because you have this term, the Commonwealth. Is that wealth common? Who is it common to? Or is it just a legacy of the British Empire taking money, goods, um, valuable things from other places and people? You know, it, it it's a real problem because what the Empire did was go around and um, eradicate other peoples, kill people, um, take over other people's countries, erase their cultures, their identities, um, oppressed people, oppressed entire cultures of people, and also change their way of life, their systems, their, you know, and instead insisted on ideas that they thought were appropriate for everybody. Do you have any other kind of ideas about where you'd like this work to go, how you'd like to develop it? I think it would be great if the work is shown in other places and other parts of the country. And I think it would be really valuable for it to find its way into other former colonies. That would be interesting. I think that would also be a challenge to the work itself. I am vividly aware that at some point, this work will hopefully become out of date. Um, it has archival value at that stage. But if it doesn't become obsolete in some sense, you know we've got a problem on our hands. Artworks that were made 20 years ago, 50 years ago, are still absolutely relevant today. It's also about giving confidence to other black, brown, marginalised, uh, repressed voices to come forth and speak of their experiences and the truths that are not told as well. Thanks, Priya. Finally, we spoke to Emily Beanie about her work, Deviant. Hello, my name is Emily Beanie. I am an artist and researcher. I've been making moving image works recently with um, 16mm um, yeah, photochemical processes. So the work that I'm showing at South Bank is called Deviant. Deviant is a 16mm black and white um, moving image piece that explores lived experiences of endometriosis. It was made collaboratively with a group of people all with experience of endometriosis and it was really about trying to find a new language to um, express these experiences and to maybe challenge some of the existing conceptions of what these might be. So I kind of worked with this group and it was a really fantastic experience. The group is um, the Endo Warriors which are based just outside Edinburgh in a place called Livingston. 
yeah, we kind of worked together last summer in a series of workshops, really focusing on the senses and really sort of like embedding ourselves in the natural environment as well and trying to find landscapes and sort of imagery that spoke to more sort of internal experiences. So we made recordings and then I kind of edited these bits of film strip. I felt that there was a kind of strong focus on rhythms, finding rhythms in the landscape and rhythms that resonated with the body. I think the nice thing about working with 16mm was that you can sort of intervene with that physical film strip. We kind of worked onto the film strip as well as editing it. I think the like rhythms that came up in terms of endometriosis experience were experiences of kind of chronic pain, but also pain flares. And one of the ways we thought about trying to represent those pain flares was to sort of interrupt the film strips with bits of direct animation, which is when you work onto the onto the film strip and we sort of embedded bits from the environment we were working in. So we were on a quite a craggy sort of beach along the Scottish coastline. There was lots of amazing textures and things that really spoke to those sensations that were going on in the body. It was nice to be able to bring that into the film in a really sort of physical way as well. I guess that's one of the nice things about working with film. It's got its own sort of lived experience as well. It's a very sort of tactile process. At the South Bank Centre, it's going to be projected. So it's a black and white film that's roughly 15 minutes long. It sort of begins with this very rugged coastline and you begin to see parts of the body, which is highlighting, I guess, how the body can sit in relation to these spaces in very uncomfortable ways, but also finding moments of rest within these spaces as well. There's moments where there's like a lot of activity, so maybe like hands making marks onto stones, breaking down bits of material, but then there's also moments of, of rest within the landscape. Yeah, that felt like a really important part of the process rest and care and access. When we were filming there was things to take into account, there was um, the access requirements of us all as a group, but also the, the natural environment. The sea was coming in, the sun was going down and the camera itself is like a wind-up camera. Each shot is no longer than 30 seconds. The way that the film is sort of set out is trying to accommodate all these different rhythms and different pacings of those, so some very slow rhythms of the tides moving and then rhythms of the of the body as well. So it's also going to be available to watch online, so it's going to be streamed. I was led to using 16mm. Well, I'd, I'd been drawn to the idea of the filmic body and the project was really about trying to represent embodied experiences. And so the idea that you could kind of, I guess, have this very intimate connection with with the film to be able to lead it on a journey, I guess. It felt like it very much resonated with the project. The title came very early on, so I was thinking about deviance. I think 16mm feels like a very deviant filmic process. It's, it's very much got its own ideas about what's going to happen, and I think there's a lot of unpredictability. I, I quite like that. I felt like that also sort of resonated. It's not it's not something that you can 
make hundreds of copies of, of this film strip. Every time it tells its story, it's another new experience for the film and that experience is marked upon the film strip just by the very process of going through the projector. I think it also kind of spoke to the sort of emotional labour that's involved in, in sharing these stories. I originally wanted to maybe create an installation or something where the film just kept going round in a loop, but the, the loop would have been absolutely enormous. Um, it's still one that I'm trying to work out the practicalities of. Making the artworks has challenged me as an artist in the sense that it's my first experience of working with a group collaborating on this sort of scale. It's felt like a really positive experience in learning how to actually collaborate and see everyone as sort of contributing active agents, like we're all artists in this project, we're all contributing to a shared vision. It was really lovely actually when we were doing the workshops. I began by giving these provocations to think about, but by the end of the day everyone was sort of putting forward provocations for the group. A process that felt very much like it was unfolding and being directed by everyone. That was a big sort of learning curve really, like when to step back and when to step forwards. Yeah, it was like a great opportunity to collaborate with the Endo Warriors, but I also had the opportunity to collaborate with Amble Scoos, who's the sound artist, who put together like a fantastic soundscape for the work to go along with voiceover. And Rachel Drazek, who's their movement director, was really helpful in terms of working in landscape, working with movement and capturing expressions of embodied knowledge, which was really sort of essential and then in terms of the filming itself, Lydia Bilby, who's like an analogue queen, was so helpful in terms of all these analogue learning curves that I came across. Quite early on, we were thinking like, who needs to see this? I think it, the answer was pretty much everybody <laughs> on, yeah, that they were thinking of. Part of the plan is to kind of share the work locally with the communities around where the group are based also thinking more in terms of like policy and government and and trying to get some of these sort of policy makers to to be aware of the film as well in terms of future plans for the work the endo warriors a big part of what they do is awareness raising so continuing to collaborate with them continuing to share the work with audiences as far and wide as possible yeah it's been a really good experience Thanks for talking to us, Emily. On this podcast, we've heard about some of the audiovisual works at the festival. Some of this work will be available remotely, so if you can't get to the festival physically, head to the Unlimited Festival page on the Southbank Centre website. There's a link in the description of this podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back to speak to three more of the brilliant disabled artists who are presenting their work at the festival. Join us then. podcast has been produced by Unlimited thanks to funding from the British Council. 
Unlimited is supported by Arts Council England, Arts Council of Wales, Creative Scotland and the Paul Hamlin Foundation.